chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 today. Romans chapter 3. Those of you uh, who weren't here last, or who were here last week, I was not, uh, but uh, had a great time with Brother Cochran and the church up there in Montreal and uh, got a chance to preach with them and then go street preaching downtown and uh, it was a great great day great day got out a few hundred tracks and uh, in the rain we got out a few hundred tracks in the rain uh, that is how busy that is down there and uh, plenty of folks uh, to preach to and so we did so it was a good time I enjoyed myself uh, but Romans chapter 3 verse number 10 familiar spot probably to most if not everybody in the room uh, he says in verse number 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. He continues down, we'll pick it up again in verse number 18, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, uh, unto all and upon all, them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Uh, Romans chapter 3 here is one of the most basic, simple, and direct statements of God's plan to save all of mankind. Uh, we understand all the way back at the beginning of the, of the book, Pastor was covering it in Sunday school from Genesis and reviewing that mankind was created Genesis chapter 1, God created all things. Genesis chapter 2, He shows us mankind and gives mankind the one command to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind chooses in chapter 3 to fail God and to fail to keep that one command. And we read it in chapter 5 of Romans, whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Mankind has been in a problem ever since the time that Adam and Eve decided to take the fruit of the tree and decided to go against the commandment of God. Mankind has sinned and everybody after Adam has chosen to sin and we have continued and perpetuated the idea of sin. Here we understand that the law shows up and the law makes sure that we understand that verse number 19 that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Uh, the world is full of sinners. This room is full of every all these people right here. You know what we all are? We all sin. <laughs> we all have sinned. Everybody has. There's not one exception to that outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, there is nobody exempted from the fact that we are all sinners. Jesus Christ, as, as the Savior, we'll talk about Him soon. Jesus Christ as the Savior is the only one who breaks that. The sinless Lamb of God that gives His life a ransom for many. But do you realize that God has set up this plan because He wanted a plan to fix it? Salvation's plan was laid out before God ever made the first man. God already had the plan ready to go. It was chambered and ready, <laughs> waiting for the day that mankind would not hold up to the one command he would be given. 
God already had it ready and his plan was so amazing and ultimately mankind is going to miss out greatly by missing out on salvation's plan that God decided to give. You realize God is a reasonable God? The world likes to think that God is unreasonable. The world's decision is, well, God can't be reasonable because a reasonable God wouldn't put anybody in a lake of fire to burn for all of eternity. That seems highly unreasonable. A reasonable God wouldn't allow sin to be in the world. A reasonable God wouldn't let that happen to me in my life and the problems that I have. Why would a reasonable God allow these bad things to happen to these people? When the truth is, God's a reasonable God. Say, how can you say God's reasonable? Because of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18, his statement to a world is come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Well, then he can be reasoned with. By the way, it is a highly arrogant statement for a man to look up at God and say, uh, you owe me an explanation. Isn't that an arrogant statement? That the created being would look up at its creator and say, how dare you? Now, I'm a parent now. I've got my two boys. You realize that if you're a parent in here and your child looks up at you and says, how dare you? <laughs> you and I both recognize how well that's going to go. It'd go perfectly well for me. It's not going to go so well for Uriah. It's going to go perfectly fine for me. Why? Because I'm the one who's got the authority. How dare you take away my phone? How dare you take away my tablet? How dare you tell me I can't go with these people? How dare you tell me that I can't have this? Don't I have freedom? Don't I have liberty? Can't I do what I want to do? Can't I? That's a child mentality. The child mentality is how come you can't, I, it's not fair, you're being unreasonable. Doesn't your child often think you're unreasonable? Because they don't understand what's happening. Does that mean you're unreasonable? No, it just means they don't understand what reasonable is. God is a wonderfully reasonable God. In fact, His statement is, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord, that your sins be as scarlet. You're the one who's wrong. They shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. A reasonable God says, you are the problem, but I can fix the problem. That's a reasonable God. He doesn't say, hey, uh, you got to clean your life up, and you got to fix these things, and you got to do all this other stuff, and if you maybe get to be good enough, I might start to talk to you about the fact that I could save you. Well, maybe if you go to church long enough or if you read your Bible enough or if you go ahead and pray enough times or if you maybe quit doing this and quit doing that and maybe if you just go ahead, then I'll, then I'll start to deal with you. That's not the God that I know. Certainly not the God of the Bible. He's much more reasonable than that. In fact, the problem we have is in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2, he reminds us that our iniquities have separated us from our God. Mankind has chosen to be sinful and they have chosen to be wicked and they have chosen to go the way that they are going and the choices that you have made have separated you from God. And you know what is amazing about our God is He doesn't want the separation. He is the one who wants to restore the relationship and fix what mankind has broken. Mankind is the one who broke fellowship with God. You have chosen to sin and go against what God has told you to do. So while all I've done is tell a lie, that is enough. The condemnation of mankind is that they have chosen to sin and go against God. Bearing false witness, lying, that's one. <laughs> and as soon as it's been done, you have iniquity between you and God. And it is that simple. 
But before God ever laid the foundations of the world, do you realize that God has already set out a plan to make sure that mankind could have their sins taken care of and restore a relationship with their Creator? You look here in, in Romans chapter 3 where we were reading. I like this. He says in uh, verse number 23, Of course, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, notice this phrase, that He, well that would be God, that God might be just. You know, God can't do anything but be just. As soon as God isn't doing it right, God is no longer God. If He is not just, then He is not holy, then He is not God. That He might be just and the justifier. You realize, this is what is amazing to me about salvation right here. I know who I am. I know what I have done. I know I don't deserve to be in a clean and a sinless and a pure heaven. And the fact that God could promise me heaven for all of eternity, which he has. The idea that I have heaven for all of eternity, I think of that moment and I go, how can God be just? It's not fair that I go to heaven. By the way, if you think it's fair that God should let you into heaven, you've got a messed up way of thinking. If you think it's fair that you get to go to heaven and somebody else doesn't and you both have done the same things wrong, you've got an issue. Your thinking is messed up. You are more entitled than you really want to admit to anybody. Your feeling of entitlement is great at that particular moment. You realize that God does, I don't deserve God to give me salvation. So then how can God justify me and make it so that I'm clean and I'm right and I'm able to go into heaven? Well, you know what God had to do? God had to figure out a way to put somebody who's as wicked as I am and as wicked as you are. God had to figure out a way to justify putting you into heaven and still be just. That's a tricky little plan. to come. That's a pretty precarious spot he put himself in, isn't it? Isn't, it, isn't that a precarious spot? Isn't he, isn't he in kind of a little jam right there if he doesn't come through on some things? Isn't he putting himself in a really rough position to be able to say that I can go into heaven and be free and clear and clean and righteous and then look at the rest of the world and go, I'm just. But that's what happens when you have a perfect God come up with a perfect plan. And that is exactly what it is. And this morning I want to come up and I, want to, I just want to preach on God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get in uh, this morning. And Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the goodness and the mercy of a holy God. Father, without your mercies we'd be consumed. And without the grace and the mercy of God, we certainly wouldn't be able to have a home in heaven for all of eternity. We wouldn't be able to say for sure that our sins are forgiven Without the word of God coming to us and letting us know how great things the Lord hath done for us, Father, we wouldn't really be able to know the greatness of God and the wonderment that he would send his own son to pay the debt of our sins. And Father, I do pray you'd help me to say what needs to be said this morning, that it would not be anything short. And Father, that it wouldn't be anything that I shouldn't say. But Father, I pray it'd be everything that I should say. That Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. And Father, if someone here today is without Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone to save them. Father, I pray you'd remind us of how great it is to have a God and how wonderful it is to have a Savior. Lord, we pray that you'd bless our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want you to think about is uh, the reality is that God is the one who had to think up the plan. God had to think this thing up. Uh, man could not manufacture this. You realize that every religion on the planet is manufactured by mankind's thought process? Religion is, I need to do something to make myself good enough to get to God. 
right? I've got to go to church. I've got to confess. I've got to, I've got to show up. I've got to do these things. I've got to get my good works to outweigh my bad works. I've got to pray enough. I've got to go ahead and get God's attention. I've got to go ahead and do these things. And if I don't do these things, then God doesn't pay attention to me. That is always man's plan. Man's plan is always I can do something so that I can impress upon my creator I deserve what he is going to do. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, if you would. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, back there in 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, you've got David as king. He's sitting upon a throne. And he's got some kids. He has a problem. Amnon had a friend. And Amnon's poor friend goes ahead and counsels him to do some wicked things. If you don't know the story, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story. You can go back and read 2 Samuel. You get around chapter 13, 14 area. Uh, chapter 13 is, is the start of it, I believe. And uh, you get reading about Amnon had a friend, and he goes ahead and he does some terrible things. His brother Absalom uh, goes ahead and says, you know what? Uh, Dad's not taking care of this. I'm going to take care of this. And he ends up killing his brother. He kills his brother, and he flees. And David basically leaves him in exile. He refuses to let him back into the kingdom because of what he's done. Arguably, David is probably not doing the right thing at this particular moment, but I can't really guarantee that. I accept that Joab goes ahead and he, he likes to orchestrate a lot of stuff behind the scenes, if you know about Joab. Uh, but Joab goes ahead and he kind of gets this woman together and he gets her to go in and tell David a wonderful story. And David gets this wonderful story from her and he goes ahead and he gives her the answer that she's supposed to have. And he's got great wisdom. He gives her the right answer. And you get down around verse 14, I believe it is. And she says to David what Joab told her to say. Because Joab knew the answer she was going to get. And Joab goes ahead and tells her to say this and she does it. She says that the king is faulty in his logic. Well, what's wrong with his way of thinking? She says, because he doth not bring home his banished. And she says this, she says, but God deviseth the means that his banished be not expelled from him forever. It's one of the greatest statements in the Old Testament. God devises the means, the way, that the banished aren't expelled from him forever. You realize you and I, our sins have separated us from God you and I, our iniquities have moved us away. You and I are not in fellowship with God without Jesus Christ. We have no fellowship and no standing. We're exiled from Him and we're strangers and we're His enemies. The Bible gives a whole bunch of descriptives of who we are without Jesus Christ and without this salvation. And He says our sins have separated us and God is the one who devises the means that you don't have to stay that way. That he is willing to bring you in and have a relationship again. David, you are, in, you are in fault with your logic here. You tell me to do one thing, but you aren't bringing home your banished. You aren't bringing back who you're supposed to bring back. And God is so amazing because he says, you know what? All the things that you've done and all the terrible you've done isn't enough for me to not want to try and figure out a way to bring you back. And he says here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. It's not those traditions. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Before the foundation of the world was laid, you know what God had? He had the plan to figure out how to get you out of exile and to bring you back in fellowship with your Creator. He looks down at the course of time. You know what he sees? He sees that mankind is going to fail. But even though mankind is going to fail him, he says, you know what? I still want him. How can I fix that? 
we talk about God being love. Charismatics take that to the extreme, and if God is love, then he can't bring any judgment. That's not love. Love without judgment isn't real love. Because when you love your child, you chasten. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God loves the world. He loves you so much that you realize that he had figured out a plan to make it so that you could have a relationship with him regardless of what you had done to him. Oftentimes our relationships are broken in this life because we are unwilling to forgive what somebody else has done to us. And all sin is against God. David sins, and when he sins, he sins, uh, goes ahead and steals a man's wife and commits adultery with her and then has the guy set up to be killed in the middle of a battle and leaves him to die. And he turns around and his answer is, against thee and thee only have I sinned, talking to God, and done this evil in thy sight. Our sin is against God. And God makes sure that he understands that even though we are his enemies and even though we are going to be against him and even though you've got an entire world and Pastor mentioned the verse earlier, Pastor Legault said, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Even though many are going to go into that side, we realize God still died for them. The plan is still accessible for anybody whosoever will let him come. It's an unbelievable plan, and God had to design the plan because God, if God doesn't design the plan, you and I have no hope. We have zero hope without God figuring out how to make this happen because God has to stay just. He has to stay holy in this. But I'm not. He wants to make it so mankind can have a relationship with him and mankind has to make a choice. He makes the statement here, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ. You realize God's the one who thought the plan up, but Jesus is the one who paid for it. Jesus is the one who bought your redemption. He paid for it. Isaiah chapter 53 is probably the most famous of the passages, maybe, maybe Psalm 22, but ultimately you get to Isaiah chapter 53 and Jesus Christ, speaking of him, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is Jesus Christ wounded and beaten and bloodied and destroyed so that you and I could have our forgiveness. Jesus Christ had to pay it. Without the shedding of blood, you heard it over and over in Sunday school, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. You cannot get your sins taken care of without the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Bible says that Jesus Christ paid the debt of our sins. He died not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The ransom that had to be paid at Calvary was the price of my sins and the price of your sins. It is His plan, but it is His purchase. God thought that plan up, and you know what He said? He said, there's only one way for me to do it. I need to pay something. Say, why? Because He already said, the wages of sin is death. There's a price that goes along with our sin, and somebody has to pay it. So you realize God goes, well, I can't just let sin go. I can't just, I can't just let sin just keep rolling on and act like it didn't happen. It is not just of God to say that sin didn't happen. That's not very just. Kind of a holy God just turns his eyes away and says, well, sin just didn't happen kind of a God is that that says I see everything and I know everything and all things are naked and open onto the eyes of him with whom we have to do but yeah I didn't see that no God saw your sin he has seen everything you have ever done everything you have ever said he has heard every thought you've ever imagined God has already taken a peek at and he knows he knows 
And his answer was, somebody has to buy it. Somebody must pay the wage. Somebody has to. How in the world do I make it work? How can God still be just and let a sinless man and let a sinful man into a sinless heaven? By letting his son die. Go back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It's a Sunday morning. Everybody in here is probably saved. I don't know. I don't know if you're saved for sure. Of all the people in this room, I would imagine we've got enough people in this room that there's probably some lost people in this room. I don't know. But you know what I like? I like bragging about the salvation that I got either way. So maybe everybody in here is saved. But it's awesome to remember that you don't deserve heaven. You know what I find? I find when I start thinking about how great God has been to me and how wonderful it is that he would save me and what he had to do to make it so a, sinless, a sinful man could get into a sinless heaven, I go, boy, I ought to tell somebody about it. It is natural to go, I need to tell somebody about this. I forgot how great this was. Let me go ahead and tell somebody. So if nothing else, go ahead and just get excited for the fact that God saved you for all of eternity. But he says in verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's he saying there? There's a whole lot of fancy twisting words going back and forth and all that stuff. And some people get real confused. I'll break it down nice and simple for you. Adam sinned and everybody is condemned for all of eternity. You and I are in trouble. We gained what is called a sin nature. We didn't participate in Adam's sin, not after the similitude of his transgression. Instead, we made our own sin. <laughs> I don't know what your first sin was, but it didn't have to be eating fruit off of a tree. <laughs> but either way, we all similitude is that we didn't do the same thing he did, but we did transgress. We've all transgressed. We've all sinned. We've covered that. And Adam goes, I sinned, okay, everybody after me is going to die. We're all condemned now. And we all say, that doesn't seem fair. We want to justify ourselves. Our answer is, well, I might not have taken the fruit if I was there. If I was Adam, maybe I wouldn't have, and I would have been fine, and everything would have been great, and I never would have failed. Okay. I don't believe you. But, you say, well, see, it's just not fair. Okay, well, then God goes ahead and you know what he does? He tips the scales back the other direction. He has this plan that goes ahead and says, okay, well, one man messed the whole thing up. I'm going to go ahead and tip the scales back the other way. I'm going to let one man's righteousness count for everybody. 
So that doesn't seem fair. Can God be just and do that? Evidently, yes. He can be just. And He can do that if someone could pay all of our sins. If Jesus can't pay all of our sins, this doesn't work. If Jesus Christ is not the sacrifice to die for the sins of the whole world, if Jesus Christ cannot taste death for every man, if Jesus Christ can't pay our debt in full for every human being, then we can forget about it. Because then it wouldn't be just. Someone has to pay for the transgressions of all of man's sins. Whether it is me as the individual or whether it is Jesus Christ at Calvary, somebody had to be punished to pay my debt of sin. And it doesn't matter if my good works outweigh my bad works because somebody has to pay for all the wrong that I have done. You don't get out of it just because you were better for a little while. You don't get out of that condemnation because of that. Instead, it is that Jesus Christ has to be just and justify you by being a righteous, clean, pure, sinless sacrifice for the sins of mankind. That is the only way this works. For God to be just, God has to have a payment. And Jesus Christ was exactly that payment. John the Baptist deems him the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. They bring him up in front of Pilate to have him crucified and executed. And Pilate says more than once, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him at all. <laughs> yeah, but crucify him anyways. Why? What evil hath he done? Their answer? He made himself the Son of God. Well, if it's true, that's not evil. He didn't commit blasphemy. He was God in the flesh. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is God and stepped down out of the glories of heaven to pay the debt of the sins of the entire, entire world. How could God do that? He could go ahead and give you His righteousness. We'll get to that in a moment. Look over at John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Now I know we're not turning a ton of places, but in case you're curious, I've probably quoted about 50 or 60 verses already. This is not just an idea or a thought or a whim from somebody who's just up here trying to say a lot of things. This is the truth about what God says about what He did for you. Because God has promised that He would save if you'd be willing to trust Him. John chapter 16. God thought this wonderful plan up. Jesus paid the debt of the sins He bought. And the Spirit goes ahead and He teaches us. Verse number John chapter 16 and verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus speaking. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things... To say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. God's the one who thought this plan up. Jesus is the one who pays for the plan and makes sure that everything can go ahead and that God could be just and justify you and I. And the Spirit of God goes ahead and teaches you that it does exist. The Holy Spirit of God is trying to show you that Jesus Christ is the Savior. The Holy Spirit of God is trying to teach you that Jesus Christ paid the debt of your sin, that you are a sinner of sin because they believe not on me. 
of judgment because why? Because I go to my father. He was righteous. That's how he could go to the father. He was righteous. He rose from the dead. He didn't deserve the judgment. He is exactly who he said he is. The, real, the realization of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that when he rose from the dead, he proved he is exactly who he said he was. That he was the Son of God that had come in the flesh to give his life a ransom for many and ascend back on high after he was done and go ahead and raise with power like nobody else had ever done before. Well, I don't know that that happened. Okay, well, there's many infallible proofs of it. How about you, but you start parading 500 eyewitnesses up and you find out very quickly that it's a moot point at that moment and they just go ahead and go, how many are you going to call? We're going to call 500. Okay, we'll stipulate. <laughs> to what? That what they're all going to say is exactly the same. Well, then it's entered into evidence. And the witnesses have brought the case. You know what they, they've got? They've got all the proof that you need that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is exactly who he said he was. The Spirit of God is teaching you that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. The Spirit of God is trying to show you that you don't deserve heaven as a sinner, but that Jesus Christ came down so that he could pay the debt of your sins because God had a great plan to reinstate the relationship between his sinful creation and his sinless self if they'd be willing to take it. And the Spirit of God starts speaking and He starts teaching and He starts trying to show you and He's trying to go ahead and show you the truth that Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost all them that will trust in Him. But there's an adversary. The Spirit is teaching and He's trying to explain and He's trying to tell and He's trying to show and He's trying to open the eyes of them that believe not. And on the other side you have Satan. The one who showed up in the garden. The one who convinces Eve to go ahead and take the fruit. The one who has started the whole thing goes ahead and you know what he's trying to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's trying to blind the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should appear unto them. Or should shine unto them, I'm sorry. God wants to shine that light in and the Holy Spirit's trying to get to somebody and he's trying to tell somebody and he's trying to tell somebody and the devil goes ahead and he slides in and tries to just blind them. Yeah, you, don't want, you, you, don't need, you don't need to trust that. You don't, you don't need to do that. You can do that later. You, you, don't, need, you don't need to deal with that. You don't need to, I mean, come on, you're better than so-and-so. I mean, it's not like you're Hitler or anything. I mean, obviously that guy deserves hell for all of eternity. But I mean, come on, it's not like you've committed mass genocide, so obviously you're a great person. How could God send a liar to hell for all of eternity? It's just a little white lie. I mean, you're really not that bad. I mean, your good works, they'll be good enough, Right? How about we turn over a new leaf and when you start getting on the right road and down the right path and if you get far enough, maybe God will accept you. But I mean really the way that you are now and the Holy Spirit starts talking to you and you know what he says? Whosoever will, let him come. Take a drink of the water of life freely. He says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Well, not as the offense, so also as the free gift. He says, hey, uh, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, uh, the Holy Spirit reaches over, he says, uh, yeah, but it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. He reaches over and says, yeah, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, yeah, but you don't have to do that today. Except for the fact that now is the accepted time and now is the day of salvation. And the Holy Spirit keeps going, hey, no, it's today, it's now, it's now, it's now. You can have it forgiven. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till a special moment. You don't have to wait till all the stars align. You don't have to wait till you're better. You don't have to wait. The devil just keeps trying to blind you and get you to push it off and push it off until ultimately he destroys you for all of eternity. He's called the thief. 
And the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he would love nothing more than a lost man and a lost woman to go ahead and spend their eternity in a lake of fire with him under the same condemnation of a just and a holy God because they decided not to trust in Jesus Christ alone. So that doesn't seem fair. God's a reasonable God. He is a reasonable God. He is so reasonable that even though you have sinned, He has brought you here so that you can hear about what great things He has done to make it so you don't have to spend eternity in a lake of fire. That's pretty reasonable. When you and I think of how many times we sin, see, this is the, this is the problem. People in the church, they've probably heard me do this plenty of times. But I, I still, I, I still, it's hard for me to fathom this number right here. I'm going to be, I'm going to be real kind. And you and I are going to be, I'm going to be really nice right here. Let's just say that all you do is lie. And let's say you do it once a year. The rest of the time you're perfect. One lie per year. Bible says that we live three score and ten, if by reason of strength, four score. So at the age of 70, you realize you've sinned 70 times. Doesn't seem like much. Except that one lie keeps you out of heaven. Now you're at 70. What do you do to fix that? But you and I are much more realistic, right? Can I, can I be a little bit more realistic than one sin a year? Let's say, how many of you would stipulate to one sin a week? Right? One a week? Can I, can I say one a week? Are we okay? I'll even round it down, all right? I'll even round it down. We'll, we'll make it an even 50. All right? 52 weeks a year. We'll go even 50. 50 lies per year for 70 years is 3,500 sins now. But you and I both know that's not how it works. Not even close. If we only committed one sin a week, we'd be doing amazing. If we only committed 50 sins a year and everything that we thought said and did, you and I would be pretty squeaky clean compared to the vast majority of humanity. The reality is that you'd probably be closer to one sin per hour, if not one sin per ten minutes, if not one sin per every two minutes. By the time you average the whole thing out, you realize you're over a million sins in your lifetime. Feel free to do the math. Go ahead and choose your number. Go ahead and say, hey, you know what? I probably only sin ten times a day. Every other hour I sin, okay? Ten times 365 is 3,560 sins a year times 70 years. You don't want to admit how terrible you are. You don't want to admit that you are dirty and you are filthy in comparison. That's why when he looks at mankind, his description of man is all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We think we're clean we're like, man, this is my goodness. This is my righteousness. I am really good compared to all these people. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, have, I have different handkerchiefs sometimes. I throw a handkerchief in my pocket, you know, things like that. And uh, I, was, I, was, I went to grab one one day. And I was wearing, you know, this is a pretty crisp white shirt. I mean, this is pretty, I mean, this is white. Ladies, you ever grab an off-white something? and put it right next to your white something. I have an off-white handkerchief, and I have a bright white handkerchief. 
I grabbed the wrong one. I stuffed it in my pocket. I walked out the door. I got in the car. You know what Melanie said to me? Take that out of your pocket. I wasn't paying any attention. I didn't realize it. I looked down. You know what I could see very plainly? From here to here, those aren't the same. Now in the drawer with all the other colored handkerchiefs, I couldn't really tell much. But I could right up as soon as it was put up next to white. You may look around at everybody else and go, well, I'm not as bad as everybody else. You're going to put right next to the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find you're not as white as you think you are. You're not as clean. You're not as pure. You're not as amazing. You don't impress Him because He is sinless and you are not. And God has devised the means. He has made sure to lay down a plan. And don't let the devil fool you into thinking that you don't need salvation. Don't let the devil fool you into thinking that you'll be good enough and you'll get past this judgment in front of God and that God doesn't really matter or that my truth is better than anybody else's truth. It doesn't matter what your truth is. It doesn't matter what you think of your goodness. It doesn't matter of any of those things. You will sit in front of a holy God. You will give an account for everything you've ever done and God will say, depart from me, ye cursed, in everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I never knew you. Unless you're willing to get his righteousness. Unless you're willing to get clean. And you won't get clean by your own merits or your own goodness. There is nothing that you and I can physically or purposely do that is going to make us clean. You can wash all day. Take as many showers as you like. You know what you won't get rid of? You won't get rid of your sin. But then you have this reasonable God. And he says, hey, come. Let us reason together. Why? Because your sins are like scarlet and I want to make them white as snow. Your sin has made you red like crimson, but I can make you as wool. I can make you as pure and as clean as I am. Look back at Romans chapter 3. What did God what did God do to make this plan possible? Well, he sends verse 24, he sends Jesus Christ. And it's freely by His grace that you and I can have it. That we can have redemption. We can be bought back. We can be paid for. God set Jesus Christ, set Him forth to be the propitiation through faith in His The payment, the ultimate payment, the final price is the blood of Jesus Christ. Say, so what's He declaring? To declare His righteousness. You know what Jesus is? He is the declaration of the righteousness of a holy God. He did nothing amiss. He was pure, sinless, righteous, clean. I don't know how many more ways you can say it. He is a sinless sacrifice. He says in verse number 26, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. God is declaring His own righteousness. So that He could be just, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Say, I don't understand what that means. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This isn't my life verse, but it is my favorite verse. It's probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible. I know people love John 3.16, and people love... John 3.16 is amazing. I'm not, just this is the weird society we live in. You say one thing's your favorite, and everybody goes, well, then you hate every other verse in the Bible. 
wrong with you, man? It's like, it's like my favorite ice cream is cookie dough ice cream, all right? That's my favorite ice cream. But if you put a bowl of other kind of ice cream in front of me, if there's no coffee in it, I'm good to go. All right? If you put coffee in there, that'll mess me up. I'll have to give it away to Brother Mike McMillan right here or something. Other than that, man, I'm golden. I do not hate other ice cream just because I love cookies and cookie, or cookie dough. You can, I love cookies and cream, too. I love all of them. I mean, honestly, I mean, I have no, I'm, I'm no respecter of ice creams, all right? But you get to here, and you know what you realize? This is one of the most amazing portions right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He talks about us becoming, verse 17, of course, a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. He's trying to make the comparatives. He's trying to let us know we have a new ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world on Himself. Now we're ambassadors. And then he says in verse number 21, For He, that's God, hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us. There's that sacrifice, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our new. Somebody's got to pay the debt of your sin. Somebody has to pay the wages. Somebody has to give their life. Made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know sin. He didn't commit one. He never failed once. He did always those things that pleased the Father. The incorruptible God became man and still was incorruptible. Couldn't neck him dirty at all. But he chose to become sin for us. Why did he do that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible makes it very plain. If you want Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is a free gift of eternal life. He extends the gift of eternal life to every man. Every person who's ever lived, God wants to give them eternal life. If you're in here this morning and you've never accepted that gift, Jesus Christ is offering that gift this morning. You know what he says? He says, hey, your sin might be scarlet. You might have gone ahead and you might want to recognize the fact that, guess what? Your sin is the thing that has separated you from a holy God. That sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He lived a sinless life, became the sinless Lamb of God, and he says, okay, now all you got to do is accept what I've done. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that if thou, that's you, shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a question of what we believe. What are you going to trust in? If I were to ask you today, why should God let you into heaven? You realize the only way God could be just and the justifier is to make it so you could have the righteousness of God in Him. If I walked up to you and I said, uh, anybody who gives me this pen, I'll give you $1,000. Now some of you have Pilot G2 pens. Pastor Legault has one probably because he stole it from my office. Um, <laughs> you go, well, I don't have that one. I got a black pen, though, just like you got a black pen right there. It'll write black ink. It'll do all the same things. It's even a gel pen. You can have it. That doesn't work. You could say, I have the exact same company, the exact same brand. I have all the things on here, and I want you to, and I'll go ahead and I'll give that one to you. And I look at you and I say, No. Say, But they're the same. They're not the same. If you have this pen, I'll give you $1,000. You could bring up anything that looks the same. Seems the same, you can hope could be the same or passes the same, but you know what you really need? You need me to walk over 
and to give it to you. I'm not giving you $1,000, Brother John. But I'll give you that pen. You can keep that today. Uh, I give that to him. And you know what he says? Hey, should I give you $1,000? Well, of course. Same pen. This pen's worth 1000 You can have a duplicate. You can try and make it. You can manufacture it. You can do it again. And you know what you won't have? You won't have the same pen. You can try to be as righteous as you want to. You can try and say your good works will outweigh your bad works. You can try and go ahead and manufacture whatever it is you want salvation to be. But the truth is, God's statement is, if you don't have my righteousness, you can't get into heaven. And he made it available to anybody. You can have my righteousness. I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive you of all of your sins. But you don't get it just because you want to try and manufacture it. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. You have to accept the payment that God gave. God gave one payment for the sin of all of mankind. It was his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to pay the debt of our sins. He chose to lay down his life to pay the debt of your sins. God's plan is if you would trust my son, I will give you my righteousness, which equals heaven for all of eternity. You are forgiven of all of your past transgressions and all of your future ones are taken care of for the purposes of eternal life. Christian, I know we sin. Lost folks look around at us and they go, they are lousy. Some Christians, you would never even want to consider them as being good or righteous or anything else. That is not a question of their salvation. Maybe a question of their fellowship and certainly is with their God. They'll give an account for that, but they won't lose their eternal salvation. They were given the righteousness of God as their eternal standing. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never called upon Jesus Christ alone, you've never said, you know what, God, I am a sinner and I don't deserve heaven. God, I am a sinner, I don't deserve heaven, but I know Jesus died for me. I know he was the righteous sacrifice for my sins, and I want to believe that he died for me and he rose again. Save me today. If you've never prayed something like that, I want you to understand something very, very quickly. You do not have heaven. If you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you do not have heaven guaranteed. And it won't be a question of whether your good works outweigh your bad works. It'll be a question of do you have the righteousness of God? The only way to get that is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He offers it to you today. He offers salvation for all of eternity, forgiveness for all of eternity, if you would accept what Jesus Christ did for you. And it's not a question of can we put it off a little longer? Can I wait just a little? It's not that question. Because now is the day of salvation. It's now. In a moment, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. Maybe some Christians will come down and they may just want to thank God for being so good to them. For saving them for all of eternity. For putting in action a plan that only God could think of. And only God could execute. And only God could save them. They may want to come down and thank them. They may want to, they, maybe they thought of somebody who didn't ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior yet. They want to come down here and pray that they would see. And the blindness that Satan's trying to do to them would be removed. And maybe they'd come down and maybe they're going to pray for some other folks' souls. I don't know. Maybe nobody will come. I don't know. But I do know this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if the question today is if something were to happen to you on your ride home, would you spend eternity in heaven? 100% sure? Or you're not so sure? Today is the day to make it sure. You can come ahead. You can get my attention. And we'll have somebody open a Bible. 
Not what I said, not what anybody else said. We'll open a Bible and we'll answer your questions. And we'll show you out of the Word of God how God can save to the uttermost all them that will trust in Him. He'll save you forever if you'd be willing. And if you'd be willing to come and talk, we'd be willing to show you. We will gladly take the time. It only takes a few minutes. And then the choice will be yours. You'll get to make an informed decision whether you'll trust Jesus Christ or you'll say, no, that's not for me today. I hope you'd choose him. I hope you'd choose to trust him. The Bible also makes this statement. How shall we escape? How are you going to escape the punishment and the justice of God if we neglect so great salvation? There is a great salvation that was made. The price of all of your sins was paid at Calvary. You will not get heaven if you neglect his salvation. Christian, I hope you're not neglecting to tell somebody about the great salvation that you got. Let's go ahead and stand.